Were you a Sesame Street kid? For sure. And I know exactly what you're talking about before you even say it. If I'm a musician, you're going to have to face the facts. You got to put down the ducky. Put down the ducky. Put down the ducky. Put down the ducky. Put down the ducky if you want to play the saxophone. You got to put down the ducky, right? You got to put down the ducky. If you want. Hoots was one of my favorite characters. And so I'm surprised that there's no more Hoots. In yeah, the what commercial. happened to Hoots? Yeah. Well, he was pretty old. Even back then, so maybe it's a sad story. Death is coming for us all, Jim. Yeah, even Hoots the Owl. <laughs> so tuning is, it's a funny thing. I was surprised recently to find out, Andrew, that like this, this whole idea of 440 is actually a, it's a reasonably recent development that like everybody yeah. has agreed. It was like 84 years ago, I think, 85 years ago. Like that recently, people decided, yeah, we'll stick with A440. Like, my grandma, who's alive today, was alive when A440 was decided upon. Yeah. Kind of funny. I feel like there were earlier attempts in that direction. There were. Well. Yeah, like, you're right. Like, there were. Yeah. Yeah. There was. Yeah. Because I feel like the Christian church organists yeah. were like getting out of hand at various <laughs> points. They were. <laughs> okay. So we have, I can tell you, so, I have a, you can't see it in the frame, but I have a, I have an organ over here. That's one of the other things that I do. Um. And I can tell you that we have access to Middle Ages era organs, and we know that the variation in where A would have been tuned was somewhere between 422 and above 450. Yeah. And, and this would be like, it could be across all of Europe, but it could be from one county to the next. You'd have this kind of variation. And then you Oh, had, yeah. And I would think that based on what I know, I would conjecture that the higher pitched organs came from places with higher density of churches. Oh, that's an interesting point. Do you think that would have been because of like more people showing up for music and preferring that higher and higher sound? And so like the population almost drives the yeah. preference. So the reason I, now the reason for my conjecture, which I could be totally wrong about. Okay. But the reason would be the same reason we see in pipe bands, Yeah, which is when pipe bands compete ever so slightly sweeter pitch Okay, traditionally, like has a literal psychological advantage. So in, in the old days, in the early 2000s, FM always had that slightly sweeter pitch. Mm -hmm. and, and again, this is just the way I remember it, but they always seemed to be just like a tiny bit sharper and sweeter and they sounded better. And so we were all striving to try to get things to that pitch of uh, sounding sweet because that was the name of the game. It has seemed, it's definitely leveled off in recent years. The, pipe band pitch charge but it might just be like it's literally hard to get channers any sharper than that now but you, i think that you're i think you're absolutely right and i think that we actually can see like a precedent for this cycle of a community or genre going higher and at some point realizing this is not sustainable because as far as i yeah. understand it you're getting into like the 19th and 20th century and you're starting to have this issue where there was a French commission that got together and said, you know what, it's, we've got to, we've got to stop this, right? We can't keep going higher and higher. And so they select, you know what though, pitch. you know what though, if the French tell me I can't change my pitch, you know what that makes me want to do? Change it. Yeah. Believe I just it or wanna... not, Andrew, that's exactly what the British did, right? Yeah. So the, the it French, doesn't surprise me. The French no. were like, we've got to stay at 435. And here's how the, these British musicians got around it. These British musicians said, okay, yeah, they said 435, but what they meant was an oboe played in a room that is 59 degrees Fahrenheit should be at 435. That means if our concert hall is 68 degrees Fahrenheit, we can be at 439. And so then they start playing 439. It's like most, it's like 
eventually they got to where like these singers, right? Opera singers, right? Would be like, look, the composer who wrote this score thought A would be 423, but the orchestra is playing at A450. I can't sing that high, you know? And so like eventually we had to have this compromise. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely. The prima donnas always ruin it. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but w- with bagpipes, so we have this pitch creep and all this kind of stuff, but like as far as, oh, I'm supposed to be at this number. That's, sorry, that's where I was going with that. Here's a number I have to be at, right? And so let me just get out my, here's my digital tuner. Here's my tuning app. You know, these things will tell me, I'll I'll just put in the pitch I'm supposed to be at. I'll play my bagpipes and it'll tell me if I'm there or not. And if not, what I should do. Am I doing this right? Or am I teeing you up to tell me I'm wrong? Sort of. Yeah. No, I think that's definitely the, the faulty complex a lot of bagpipers develop. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that it's related to the overarching pandemic. No, bad choice of words. Sorry, too soon. (laughs) I think it's the overarching systemic problem or a misconception that pipers have, which is that a bagpipe tuning is hard. Yeah. And that's where the digital tuner comes in. It It it, it will do it for me. Yeah, it'll help make it easier for me. And I don't have the ear for tuning. Mm. And so the digital tuner is there for people like me because otherwise I would sound terrible and the bagpipe and the digital tuner helps me sound okay. I feel like for me personally, especially when I'm in the green room getting ready for a solo competition or backstage about ready to go on, I feel frazzled to the point where I can't hear my bagpipes. Like I just, I get this like high level of emotionality or something where like I can hear the sound, but I lose what little ability I'd previously had to discern if I am in tune. And that's when I more especially will reach for a digital tuner or my app because I don't feel like I can trust myself in that moment. But those are the most key moments. Those are the most important moments to be in tune. I know, but it's also the most, it's also the most ironic time to use a digital tuner, right? In the sense that, in the sense that your, the combination of your ears and your brain are the only thing that can save you in that moment, right? And the digital tuner can't do that. Like, let's go back to the original assumption. I think the the assumption is that a bagpipe tuner will definitely help you go from sounding terrible to sounding okay. I think that's what everybody believes and everybody's ready to settle for okay. I think that might actually be true. Hmm. Like, I think that you a bagpipe digital tuner so by the way for people who don't like the message of today's podcast notice that i'm starting with what do you call this a a, peace offering a a peace offering Mm. yeah so i think you can use a digital tuner to help you get your pipes from sounding horrendously awful to sounding just norm just like a, a better amount of awful I was going to say passable, but if you want to stick with a better amount of awful, okay. <laughs> I don't think so though, because I think passable would be a little bit too generous because that's usually not the case. I, I usually don't see someone who is only willing to use a digital tuner. They're usually not coming out sounding passable. Mm. Okay. Uh, does it sound like a bagpipe? Sure. Does it sound truly horrendously clueless? No. But it's somewhere in between clueless and passable, and it's not quite passable yet. That's my opinion. Maybe you disagree. No, I'm curious. Um, I am curious if you feel like, because you have way more experience than I do with this, do you feel like there are specific aspects of the sound that you can point to that usually 
the digital tuner isn't catching because for me personally, I feel like I often, if I am like in my backyard, relaxed where like I can actually chill and listen, I will get in tune according to my tuning app or my, or my digital tuner that I've got over there. And I will then play for a few minutes and realize, oh no, I don't actually think that my C is in tune. And then it's usually, it's, it feels like it's almost always my C, D and then FGA, which those are variables anyway. How do you know? Let me ask you this. Mm. So you play, you got in tune according to your app, then you played some more and then you started to decide that some notes actually didn't sound right to you. Yeah. Right. That's That's what you're saying. Yeah. So how did you make that decision? Yeah, I, I guess that's, this is to some degree. I'm surprised even because of this just conversation, answer. I'm surprised. Just at, answer the question, Jim. You're hedging. Just answer the question. How do you, I'm sorry to cut you off. I'm just being a jerk, which is by the way, a very well-developed skill set for me, <laughs> but like, how did you, so you're not looking at the tuner app anymore and you have come to the conclusion yeah, it's from how it on sounds. your own yeah. that it doesn't sound that good. Yeah. How did you come to that conclusion on your own yeah. without the tuner? Yeah. It's from listening. It's from listening specifically while playing tunes too, though. Yeah. But you're listening to what's going on and you're starting to develop a theory Mm. that, wait a minute, it actually doesn't sound that great anymore. Yeah. Now, where does that theory come from? Deep inside my heart. Deep inside your heart. But it's sure. But it probably also comes from, you probably have experiences. Uh, Yes. You've probably heard really good sounding bagpipes before. I do listen to a lot of bagpipes all day, every day. Yeah. It's very true. Yeah. Heard bagpipes before and compared to that, your bagpipe isn't really, isn't quite up to snuff. Yeah. Right. Uh, You've probably heard things out of tune and in tune before, and you've probably heard some beats going on and you're probably starting to hear that creeping into your playing. Right. Mm -hmm. So my point is there's some hints there that you have quote unquote the ear i'm the uh, chosen one uh well <laughs> you have quote unquote a good enough ear oh, dang uh, to hear when things are starting to be in tune and i guess my point is that is what we just we want to develop that you have sort of an inkling that mm-hmm. things aren't in tune what we want to do is we want to develop that into something that's more than an inkling. It's something that borders on like knowledge. And then we want to develop the skills uh, to be able to deal with that in quick and efficient ways. So the uh, next question for you is now, maybe you're less reliant on the tuner than others, but now you've, now you've started to decide on your own that things aren't sounding as great as they could. So let's go back to the tuner. Tell me how you would fix those problems with the tuner. Well, that's, that's the hard thing. I couldn't because the tuner is saying everything's fine, but I, I don't think it is in this moment, in this, in this experience. So I'm not, I don't know how I would use the tuner to go further than that. You know what I mean? Because you're also pointing to, you're also pointing to the really big ultimate fatal flaw with the digital tuner. Yeah. Which want to jump to the end? Want to jump to the end here? Yeah. Let's flip the pages here to the end. That's right. The fatal flaw with the digital tuner is how can you confirm or reject the results of the tuner? Right. It just is what it is. Is this a, is it, do we have a conspiracy theory built in here? Do we have pipers making tuners so that all other pipers in the world will be slightly out of tune so that those pipers who made the tuners will be the only pipers in the entire world who are perfectly in tune? 
I would be up for that specifically for the reason that maybe it would help people. No, no, but the tuner is, no, it's designed to, what is a tuner designed to do? Well, it gives you a frequency readout. Right. And then there's a variety of different interface options. And, and there's probably a variety of different precision, right? Like I think some of the more expensive tuners are ultra precise. Yeah. And then some of the cheaper ones are probably just sort of generically precise. Uh, but all they do is give you a frequency readout, right? And you can have the interface that says like, okay, calibrated to this frequency, you're a little bit sharp or a little bit flat according to that readout, but that's all a tuner does. But the big thing here is until you've developed a good ear, how can you confirm or reject what the tuner is telling you? Right. And Jim has already pointed to the idea that you can't really, because sometimes even though the tuner seems to be saying it's correct, uh, I don't like the sound of my pipes right now. And it definitely is not sounding like that ideal uh, bagpipe that I have in my mind. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I want to sound like Stuart Little, but I don't. Okay. So and the tuner says I'm fine, but it doesn't sound fine. So what's going on here? And there's really only way out of here, only one way out, which is we have to be able to develop our ear and our tuning instincts. And the tuner cannot do that for us. Can we talk about some other things that the bagpipe tuner cannot do? You mean, are we going to get crazy and be like, it can't boil an egg or are we getting, are we sticking? No. Yeah, okay. It can't boil an egg. But I think one of the most ironic things about bagpipe tuner mania, okay? And by the way, I don't think, just before we go too crazy here, I don't think a bagpipe tuner is useless, mm -hmm. okay? I just think that we need to put it down. We need to put down the rubber ducky. At, at some point. Okay. Yeah. Uh, at least long enough to develop a, a good ear and good procedures, mm. good tuning procedures. We need to develop those and practice those and get pretty good at them before the bagpipe tuner can be truly useful to us. Mm. But here's another, the mo super ironic problem with the bagpipe tuner is you actually already know it can't do the things you need to be able to do. Mm. For example, we don't care what pitch our tenor drone is at. What do we actually care about? We care about its relationship to other drones. Right. And we care about its relationship to the chanter. Those are the things we care about first and foremost, right? So we need to know if tenor drone A is actually in tune with tenor drone B. But does your tuner have multiple microphones? No. It's got one, and it's reporting the pitch of one instrument. When we play the bagpipes, we don't care about that. Not, at least not unless we're playing with other instruments, but even so, what do we care about there? We care about that tenor drone's relationship to some other instrument's tenor drone, mm -hmm. or some instruments, some other instrument's note. But the bagpipe tuner, actually, you already know this. It does not compare two things. It just gives you the output of one thing, which when we play the bagpipes, we don't know. So. You can put the microphone up to one tenor drone and tune it to 485. You can put it up to the other tenor drone, tune that to 485. So it'll tell you that both drones are theoretically playing at 485. But what does it not tell you? It doesn't tell you if the two drones match, which is what we care about. And what do we mean by match? It, we mean that all beats between the two things have been eliminated. Mm -hmm. Right. So maybe you tune tenor drone A, but for whatever reason, the piper was blowing at a slightly different pressure by the time you tuned drone B. So the yeah. reading for both of those could be the same, but there could be significant beating between the two. Here's another thing a bagpipe tuner can't tell you. Are the drone reads calibrated? True. Ah, yeah. 
you know, if one drone is open more than another, that means it's going to fluctuate more with any change in pressure. And so now like a little bit of unsteadiness or a part where you're, maybe you're getting tired or maybe you're subconsciously blowing a little harder or softer, you know, not the reading it could give you could be correct as far as the tuner is concerned, but drone compared to other drone, they're significantly beating with it, with each other. It's probably and, worth uh, noting too that like with a digital readout, there is an infinite number of decimal places when it comes to the audible uh, frequency. And that's not, mm -hmm. they're not all going to fit on the screen. And even with the needle, there is a width to the needle. You know? And so yeah. they might, it might say 485 and 485, but it might be 45.2 and 45.897 or something like that. Well, I mean, it wouldn't be that because mm -hmm. it would round up like it, it's still a common might not objection. Be hmm. So a common objection to what I'm saying is, well, hang on, Andrew. You play an Inverary and Inverary uses a tuning meter. I see you guys use it all the time. Yeah. But I think you might be misinterpreting slightly what's really going on. What is going even on there? Even drone tuners themselves sometimes are misinterpreting what they're actually doing. Mm. Okay. A good, now a, a tuning meter is a great reference device, right? So when we're going around and we're tuning the drones in a pipe band, we are using the tuner to give us a reference of what pitch that drone is sounding. Mm. Okay. But at some point, your ear has to come into play and you have to be able to confirm what the readout is saying. So the readout might be saying, oh, here I come to Andrew's drone. Oh, it looks like according to the tuner, it's a little bit sharper than it should be relative to the other drones. Cool. Let me lengthen the drone slightly. Aha. Sure enough, when I lengthen that drone, it's starting to sound a lot better. Or maybe you lengthen that drone, suddenly you hear more beating. Uh, when I move to the next tenor drone, that one was also quite sharp. We mm. got to move that one up. Right? And so... You can absolutely use the digital tuner as a reference point. Okay? Mm -hmm. There's no law against that. And when it comes to tuning, how many drones are there in a 20-person you know, pipe band? There's 60 drones that you have to tune, sometimes very quickly. So that reference device can be handy for efficiency's sake. But in order to do a good job, you still have to use your ear and eliminate beats. So is this kind of, could we, we use this as, is this kind of a, uh, an, a, would it be analogous to like the, uh, the idea of like not confusing the map for the territory, mm -hmm. the tuner can like point you in the direction, but don't exactly let right. that tell you when to stop. I like, once you're pointed in that direction, now you use your ears to go in that direction. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. And it would be a good, it would be a good thing. Like, I don't think I'm, I was never a boy scout, but I think in the boy scouts, you do a lot of like map stuff. I was a boy scout. We probably should yeah. have done more map stuff than we did. So I think <laughs> conceptually you're on, you're on target. Yeah. <laughs> But it might be the same reason why you don't use a calculator in third grade math class. Yeah, yet, yeah, yeah. Right? And it might be a reason why you wouldn't use a GPS in Boy Scout map training. Mm. Because uh, now the GPS could be a great tool, but sometimes that sends you through a bad part of town or, or sometimes it, it looks like a direct route, but then there's like a giant chasm in the way or something. Right. It skips you over the, the conceptual learning. So once you got to understand like, what is magnetic north and how do you figure out all, all that kind of stuff? Once you've got the concepts down, then you've got this efficient tool that can help you do your job faster. But uh, if you skip over the concepts, then you're really reliant yep. on that GPS unit or whatever it is. And it's not perfect. Something exactly. goes wrong. You don't know what to do. Exactly. And so there are some cases where a tuner can be a really nice reference device. I'll give you a couple other examples where I would use a tuner. Mm -hmm. uh, if I'm going to be playing in B flat, so I often play in B flat, either for my computer projects or when I'm playing with other instruments and jamming out, uh, B flat, that would be another one where it's handy to have a tuner there, but just listen carefully now. 
it would be for after I've got my pipes in tune and the drones are in tune with low A and everything's the way that I like it. And now I compare the low A to the tuner and it says, oh, you're playing nicely at B flat. One of the things that Matt McIsaac told me in our tuning interview, so we've got our Dojo U tuning course coming out uh, and I've done at least 12, probably more interviews with really famous pipers like Matt McIsaac and Stuart Little and Callum Beaumont and Colin McClellan and like the list, Jimmy Gilvery and the list goes on and on. But uh, one of the things Matt McIsaac told me in his interview with me was he'll actually use the tone generator uh, feature of the tuner so that he actually has like a fourth drone kind of going through his Bluetooth headset. Uh, And he'll make sure that not just that his three drones are in tune, but also that they are in tune with that sort of fourth digital drone, making sure that everything's locked in with concert pitch, which is a really cool thing. But also, by the way, points to what the real pipers are doing here. Right. Which is using their ear. They're not just staring at the tuner. You know, the ear is is sort of infinitely more powerful. And it's not just powerful in the sense that it can sense frequency, but mm. it's very powerful because it's connected to your brain, which knows what to do when things don't align with what you expect. So, but anyway. That's an exciting uh, idea, though. That, yeah. Because it uses the precision of the digital tuner. That's the superpower there. Exactly. But it's also using the precision of the human ear. That's like and the, the best superpower of, of your brain. Yeah, yeah that's absolutely. super cool. What a cool idea. Love it. Matt yep. McIsaac. But Matt McIsaac, smart guy. Yeah. Amazing piper. Oh, okay. he's one of my favorites. But uh, that's another good reference. And then another thing I'll do is I'll use it to give me a reference to uh, my pipe band. And especially for me, uh, the pipe band I play in is 4,000 miles away, mm-hmm. a totally different part of the earth in a totally different climate. Um, and I've learned over the years that typically your pitch has to be a little bit sharper in North America for when you travel to Scotland and it'll get a little bit flatter. But I can take the pitch of recordings from band practice and Mm. I can say, oh, okay. They were playing outside last night at band practice and they're playing at 483. So like if I'm in my practice room here and I'm showing like 485 or 86, then I know that when I get to band practice, I'll probably be pretty close to in the ballpark. So there you go. There again, I'm using my tuner as a reference device, but notice I'm not using it to tune my pipes. Okay. Yeah. Tuning of the pipes should all be done by you. Okay. Developing those key tuning procedures, like learning how to identify beats between drones and slow them down to a stop. Okay. That's a big one. And then also being able to test how your chanter relates in pitch to your drones uh, and, and test for which direction you need to move things. And there's a variety of different tests you could use at the dojo. We teach the pressure variance testing the blow trick testing but there's other ones you can do but you need to get good at that Mm. you need to get quick at that right Uh, and the tuner the more you insist that you can't do it and that you need the tuner the longer it's going to take for you to ever develop these skills and most pipers never develop them once they become convinced once they become convinced that the tuner is like the only hope Yes. I've been in that mental space personally. It's rough when you, I mean, if you've got it all set up, but then whether you're in a competition situation or a performance, you know, you're 20 minutes deep, you know, having left the tuner and you don't know if you sound good, you know, like that's what I've experienced where like, you know, I'm now, I'm now way deep into a set or I've, you know, I've played a few sets and I realized like, honestly, I don't know if I sound good right now. I sure hope I do, you know, but it's like, I haven't been able to look at my tuner for 20 minutes now, so I don't know. Because I, I didn't have the 
and either didn't have the ear or didn't have the confidence to trust the ear. I mean, now I know that I am the fulfillment of prophecy. I do have the capital T, V, capital E, ear. I am the chosen one. Yeah. I've come. But uh, I didn't realize it then. And so I was, I was. Unless you have some sort of, unless you have some sort of significant mutation or deformity, we all have the same ears, mm. right? Just like we all have five fingers, mm -hmm. right? We have ears, we, uh, we have a cochlea with all those little hairs inside, and that's the ear, right? And then we all have brains. Uh, most of the people I come across, again, notwithstanding any you know, injuries or, you know, developmental problems or something, we all have a very amazing brains, right? Mm -hmm. And what we really need to do is train the skill uh, of, and it's not even really hearing whether something is in or out of tune, folks, right? It's like, we need to develop the skill of testing. So when we're not sure, how do we test our tuning to see uh, whether or not it could be improved, right? And the tests are really simple. Test number one would be take one drone or take two drones and move one in one direction and see if mm. things get better or worse. And then the same goes with the chanter. Like, okay, chanter's one. So well, how can you test if the chanter's in or not? You could just take a wild guess. That's a great way to test. To take a wild guess. Well, I'm playing low A to my drone. I think it sounds okay, but I'm not sure. All right, well, let's spend some time moving the drone around and seeing if we can get it better. Yeah. Uh, and over time, you'll, you'll improve your ear because you'll have lots of practice listening for these qualities, but you'll also Im improve the process that you use to get to the best possible result. I, I do really like, after. for, for chanter intervals, I, I do like using a finger. Like, even if I think it's good, yeah. just make it a little bit flat. That's perfect. And just see. But that's like a, but that's a perfect example, right? That is a, the, that's a testing procedure mm -hmm. that you use uh, to help you get to the result that you want. And it sounds like, I, I wouldn't have thought of this before, but from what you're pointing out, it sounds like key to all of this really too is exposure to good bagpipe sound. Just be listening to sure. good bagpipes pretty regularly. That gives you a pretty clear idea of what it is you're trying to achieve. Right. And that goes back to you know, Dojo 101. You yeah. know, Emerge is the, probably the biggest correlate uh, to anyone's success as a player. But even without immersion, uh, just enough curiosity uh, will get you pretty far as well. Yeah. So like, you know, like, hmm, my C sounds really nice today. Uh, let's confirm. Ah, yes. Yeah, so if I ease off the blowing on the C, oh, I can hear it getting worse. Oh, if I increase uh, the blowing on the C, pitch increases, I can hear it getting worse. Like, yep, sure enough, this is the sweet spot. Okay, that's what an in-tune C sounds like. Mm. Got it. And your brain will gradually store all this information. Good, bad, not quite right. And it might seem like, you know, if I listen to a piper play a low A relative to the drone, me, Andrew Douglas, I'll be able to say, oh, that's a flat low A. Right. I don't even have to think about it. Yeah. Uh, it's just like probably Steph Curry can tell probably before the ball even leaves his hand, yeah. whether it's going to go in it's or not. In, yeah. And you can actually see that in action because sometimes even before the ball leaves his hand, he'll be on the way in for a rebound. He, he knows, knows there's a problem. Win. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's the same thing over time, right? Using these processes, that's what leads to the really great ear. It is interesting you know? that like we hear about perfect pitch, like it's this superpower, you know? And like, eh, maybe it's not, and I don't understand the science behind it perfectly anyway, but I suspect that anybody can develop what you might call really great tonal memory. And like, I have, I have musician right. friends, bagpipers and otherwise, who definitely have really good tonal memory. So like right. could, they could shift what key you're in and you could throw them off if you wanted to, but they just are, they're doing this so much and they have been for so many decades. Like, yeah, 
got a good sense for it. It reminds me of like, in, if you've ever been to college, you've met at least seven people who are like, oh, I have a photographic memory. It's like, yeah, okay, cool. Right. <laughs> like, good for you. And they're usually dumbasses. Oops, sorry, that came out a little harsh. No, like, yeah, that's true. Yeah, some people do have great memory. And by the way, perfect pitch uh, seems to be that way. If I practice, I can have perfect pitch in the sense that like, you know, the way to have perfect pitch is you're able to identify one or more pitches from memory, mm. right? So you're able to say, okay, B, like I can usually, uh, I have like my favorite Dave Matthews live recording uh, when they, Dave and Tim Reynolds play like the warehouse and I can hear like that opening dun, 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 and, and that's B, cool. So now if I hear any other note, I, I can tell what it is because relative to B, I can calculate what that note must be. So I guess that's what perfect pitch is. Mm -hmm. And there's some people who can do that sort of like instantaneously. Um, and then, yeah, it's like you said, it's kind of like pitch memory. Yeah. But like, how does, how is that developed? Well, it's basically the same, right? It's like trial and error. Uh, and then combined with like a nice memory of some of these key musical moments. Mm -hmm. I think if you play... I think if you play enough piano, you can just hear the note. Just like if, remember, we did that one a long time ago on the podcast. You're like, you, oh, you yeah, that's that. right. I was playing, I would just play, was it doublings or was it great? It was grace notes, and you're identifying the tone of the grace note. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yep. So if you do it long enough, you can probably just hear it. Yeah. I now, don't know if that's a, it, I don't know if that's something you should brag about or not, but that's fun. Speaking, I love bragging. So. Speaking of perfect pitch, I have a perfect pitch for you, Andrew. Get it? Perfect pitch. It's like Shark Tank. Here's, Got it. here's what I want to pitch to you. I don't know if you knew this. this is my favorite tuning facts in the world is that once uh, A440 was decided, BBC established a, what they call a piezoelectric crystal. They have a piezoelectric crystal that they attach an oscillator to that mm -hmm. generates the reference tone 440 hertz, right? Sure. Now, I've never seen a picture of this specific crystal, but I like to imagine that the situation is something like Lex Luthor's secret storage of uh, kryptonite, right? Like it probably is glowing, you know, and lots of yeah. wires and stuff around it. So what I want the Piper's Dojo to do is acquire some highly sought after mineral, be it a crystal or some other pre a precious gem of some kind, something, and set it up on a really impressive pedestal, maybe use a trophy from, from a, a past world's win or something like that and set it up with like an underglow and all that kind of stuff, right? Set up oscillators, whatever is needed, and establish uh -huh. for us a worldwide decisive bagpipe pitch. And it will always be right. decided by this glowing crystal. What do you think? Uh, you could just use a digital tuner for that. <clears throat> no, you could though. Uh, and I'm, and you're being, you're being, you're attempting to be funny which you are extremely funny <laughs> you're, my you're joke was funny that joke right there was better than my whole thing though <laughs> yeah i i found it kind of long-winded um <laughs> I it's lay, like, oh I lay, he's just talking about a digital tuner i oh, lay a lot of pipe for my jokes that's for sure <laughs> yeah but yeah i think that day will hopefully come probably <clears throat> the way things are right now i'll let you read into what i mean by that i think it'll probably be a long time before it does but yeah I think it should be B flat. I'd be into that. I actually, uh, I was talking to Andrew O'Sullivan the other day and he was like, what about A? And I was like, dude, yeah, A, that'd be awesome. Just like, cause yeah. that's where fiddles are. And like, it just, it doesn't require as many black keys on the, on the piano, you know, like even better, but still sure. I'd take B flat for sure. The problem with like, hmm, 
uh, well, B flat would as well, but A would require a large scale re-engineering of the instrument. Yeah. The, of the Great Highland Bagpipe and also the whole spacing in A. That's is true. fairly significantly larger. I think B flat, uh, when you play a B flat chanter for me, it's not a huge difference in how my fingers are. And then like, I think with just re-engineering of some reeds, we wouldn't need to like remake a lot of bagpipes. Uh, like just changing the way we do reeds would right, be it. But yeah. B flat would be obviously easily definable, but also I think one of the biggest things holding bagpipes back and uh, preventing them from really exploding into the popular world is the fact we don't tune with anyone. We don't want to play nice with with anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. It's a huge shame. And, uh, it's a huge problem. Andrew, in you your know. ideal future, would you have us be playing at B flat and change the way we write and read our music to match, you know, the concert pitch? Or would you, you'd keep us transposing as it were a transposing Correct. Instrument? Yeah. Yeah. There's precedent I would keep for us that. A it would be wild. Oh yeah. Tons of precedent. Yeah. I think, uh, even the trumpet is a transposing it instrument, is, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it, yeah. You read C, but play down to B flat. So it's a similar thing where we would read A, but be playing up to B up flat. Up to B flat. Yeah, exactly. And then that's like a lot easier, right? Mm-hmm. You're playing in B flat. Guitarists, they can just pop a capo on and they're all set. Yeah. You know, and then pianos could play in B flat or whatever. Um, and that's, by the way, when you look at you know Peter Maxwell Davies and all that stuff, they when they're composing with ba- real bagpipes involved. Mm. That, that's what happens. They, the bag, bagpipes playing in B flat. I, I got a commission job uh, last winter and the lady who, who hired me had already written out all of the backup music and everything where she wanted the bagpipe solo to come in. She was getting it recorded and everything already. And she yeah. gave me the music. Like, I just want you to come up with something that'll fit in here. It was a wild key. And I was like, oh, God, I, I might have to do like some digital manipulation to get my pipes to sound right in there. And she was like, somebody told me that bagpipes only played the black keys. And so I set it up in this, what is that key? Is that C sharp major or something like something that uses like all of the black keys, right? For major intervals, yeah. whatever it was, it was wild. And I was like, no, that's not true. And we ended up making it work. Yeah, yeah it was a mess. It was a real mess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it would be tempting. The bagpipe right now tunes somewhere between B flat and B. You know, the way things are going, maybe we're going to end up closer to B fingers would be closer together though still uh, mm. but we might we may end up closer to b but then like yeah to transpose other instruments into the key of b can yeah. be quite tricky and would involve a lot of black keys i think if my memory of the circle of fifth serves me yeah there's, there's black keys involved in that one for sure yeah <laughs> looking at a keyboard there <laughs> yeah but, I, I don't know yeah b flat but, seems like a more common more yeah. that's that's the jazz key anyway you know there's, there's definitely a lot of people like that key Hmm. Well, there it is, Jim. Uh, a few things, most of the things that we need to do, the digital tuner can't do it for you. And so to summarize, uh, I think the best thing anybody could do is to put the digital tuner away. It's like lock it up, put it in the bottom of the fish tank. You know, you, you could put it in a waterproof Ziploc bag at the bottom of the fish tank. So someday you can take it back it out. out. Uh, and use it for some basic reference tasks. But what we really need to do is train our tuning procedures mm-hmm. and, and develop those skills. Uh, and that, I think, is the name of the game. And, and you'll see, you know, if you just commit to that, you'll be amazed how fast um, you develop that good ear that, that you thought you didn't have.